Welcome to the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR, where we talk to business leaders from around Ireland and share their advice on how to create the HR systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, simply visit www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room Podcast. In today's episode, we're talking about a topic that seems to be getting more and more traction this year, the four-day work week. But what does it mean? What are the benefits and how can HR teams and leaders begin to implement it? To talk about this topic today, we're delighted to be joined by the newly appointed CEO of 4-Day Week Global and the chairperson and founder of the 4-Day Week Ireland campaign, the brilliant Joe O'Connor. How are you, Joe? Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Owen. Thanks for having me. And as always, we're joined by our very own Mary Cullen, founder and managing director here at Insight HR. How are you, Mary? I'm great, thanks, Owen, and great to have you here, Joe. Brilliant. So we'll jump right in. So I suppose on the face of it, Joe, 4-Day Week kind of sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? But I suppose what's your idea of a 4-Day Work Week? How does it work? Is it as simple as eight eight hours by four days? Talk to us more about it. Well, the, the model that we talk about when we talk about the 4-Day Work Week is based around the principle of the 180-100 rule, which is 100% of the pay, 80% of the time, but in exchange for a commitment to delivering 100% of the output. And this is something that was, was designed by our co-founder, Andrew Barnes, after he initially was looking at, you know, was reading some research which suggested that people were only truly productive for around three hours a day. Um, and he was reading this article on the plane, traveling somewhere, and he kind of thought about if he switches the focus in his own business away from hours worked and onto productivity, could he deliver better outcomes um, and better performance in his business? So they ran a trial in his company, Perpetual Guardian, in New Zealand back in 2018. Uh, it was run alongside some academic research with the Auckland University of Technology. The results were extremely positive in terms of company productivity, employee engagement, employee well-being. So they then made it permanent. And really, Four Day Week Global has emerged out of that really as a, as a network and as an organization that supports other companies who want to explore or experiment with this idea of reduced hour productivity focused working. Brilliant. And I suppose it is kind of, as we've seen, as most of us have seen, or I'm sure our listeners will have seen as well, it is really kind of taken off at the moment. So I suppose the question though is, have many companies or countries kind of implemented this yet? Have there been any results of, of note so far? Sure. So um, some of the most high profile projects that we've seen are in Iceland. It's not necessarily a four day work week project, but over the course of the last number of years, they've transformed most of their economy from an average of 39 hours to 35 hours with very, very positive outcomes from both a productivity and an, an employee well-being perspective. We've seen the United Arab Emirates have recently just announced that they're shifting their entire public sector to a four and a half day work week and um, while aligning their weekend with, uh, with, with most of the Western world. Um, and we've seen in Spain and in Scotland commitments to running government funded, government supported trials. And even closer to home in Ireland, we've seen just in the last week, the government have announced a new research tender um, by the, the Department of the Environment, the Department of Enterprise to assess and explore the potentially economic, social and environmental impacts of the four day work week. So certainly we're, in, we're seeing an increased interest in this topic 
by governments all over the world. But then almost every day we see a new corporate or a new big company who is, you know, announcing their trialing or moving to a four day work week. And I can tell you a little bit more about our own pilot programs, but within the, the programs that we're coordinating privately, we have over 100 companies just in the first half of 2022 alone who are joining our, our, our programs and trialing the four-day work week. Brilliant. So it seems like it, it seems to be working. And it's, I think a lot of our listeners will be thinking about how to, I suppose, start implementing it. I suppose, Mary, my question to yourself then, how can companies kind of assess whether this model is kind of right for them? I guess it's back down to, you know, employee voice, isn't it? You know, employees are telling their employers, not just in Ireland, but globally, um, that they want more balance and that they want more time for their own families and interests and, and personal pursuits. And, you know, that's coming through right across the board. And we're seeing many, many of our clients talking about the fact that people want something different. They don't want to come back into offices. They enjoyed over the last two years some of the freedoms that they, um, I suppose, freedom from commute and uh, freedom to spend more time uh, on the things that matter to them. So to me, the four-day week uh, is something that I've been hearing about probably a lot in the last two years and um, I'm sure you're familiar with um, Henry Stewart as well uh, Joe I listened to him talk about uh, the four-day working week and um, his his whole approach and philosophy uh, in his workplace around uh, the four-day working week and I think it makes a lot of sense um, but you know, we looked at it and we talked about doing it ourselves um, probably about two years ago. And we haven't got it off the ground. The reason why, because, you know, the systems and the processes and the, how we go about doing it and really matters. And what I wouldn't like to see in this business is for our team to kill themselves for four days and compress their week in such a way that they're actually doing five days work in four days. Um, and they have been some of the factors in, in our delay to embrace it. And I'm sure an awful lot of uh, organizations across Ireland and globally have those same concerns, you know, how do we do it? The, the ideal is that we don't lose productivity, that people have more balance, that we have longer, um, not necessarily weekends, because it doesn't have to be a four day week, meaning a three day weekend. It, presumably you could break up your week and do different things. Um, but I do think that the, the how to, is important. How do we actually go about doing this from a systems perspective um, so that we don't burn people out and still that there's choice for those who, who do want the five-day week still? Definitely. And that's probably the big question, I suppose. Um, and I'll come to yourself for this one, Joe. I suppose, what are the benefits for employers and how can they really kind of get this off the ground? Because I think that's the, that's the kind of crux of the matter today, isn't it? Yeah. And I mean, you know, traditionally, the benefits that we've seen and the things that have drawn people to the four day work week over the last 
number of years since I've started working on this back in, in 2018 are, well, first of all, productivity. So companies looking to create an organizational wide focus on how can we improve our, our efficiency, our operations. And I suppose the powerful thing about the four day work week trial is, you know, it really powerfully aligns the company's interests with the employee's interests. Because if you're running a trial of the four day work week and you're really, really clear about these are the targets that we need to achieve. These are the metrics that we're going to be measuring success on. You know, this benefit is so transformative for people in their day-to-day -day lives that they are incredibly motivated and engaged and empowered to make those kinds of changes to work practices, to, to explore and to find what are the collective efficiencies that are holding us back in terms of our productivity in our work. So that's certainly a big one, you know, well-being and, and, and giving back to employees and, you know, alleviating burnout and stress and overwork is certainly another one. But the, the big phenomenon that's, that's you know, the, the driver that's really emerged in the last 12 to 18 months or so as we come out of the pandemic is competition. And it's, it's the fact that for a lot of employers, they're turning to this as a means to retain their best people, to recruit and attract better talent. And we're particularly seeing it with a lot of companies who maybe previously offered some version of flexible working or hybrid working as a competitive advantage. And now in a lot of sectors they found, well, actually it's not a competitive advantage anymore because it's now a standard expectation uh, in a lot of industries. Um, you know, So whatever edge they might've had over their competitors by being a bit more flexible, by offering blended work has now been swallowed up. And now they're looking for, well, what's the new thing that can give us the edge? Um, and, and they're turning increasingly to the four day work week as something that if done right, can allow them to maintain their, their productivity, but also give something back that's really, really attractive for their people and for potential future uh, future employees. It's interesting, Joe, isn't it as well that um, you know if you think about the traditional forty-hour week, the five-day week, you know, and that was Henry Ford who came up with. I think, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but with that whole idea of you know we people are productive with more time because I think there was only one day in the weekend at that point in time, and that was Sunday, um, and that we haven't really moved. Uh, too far from these old traditional ways of working and ways of thinking um, when it comes to how many hours of, of work uh, somebody needs to do to be productive and for organizations to be profitable. Um, and while the world, I, I guess, was turned upside down to some extent organizationally um, for everyone during covid with that flexibility that you talk about. Um, I think it, it is the whole area of um, working with what people want, suiting their lives, and that is where the competitive advantage is. If you, if you don't have that, um, what else are you offering people? Uh, and that whole space um, has got in, you know, incredibly competitive now. There's more and more marvelous benefits offered by one business versus the next, but not a lot offering the four day week. Um, you know, not in Ireland yet, anyway, that I can see or that I know of uh, yet. I, I think it's a really, really important point that you raise because, you know, COVID has, has been the game changer in that with these very deeply ingrained cultural and societal norms, sometimes it takes a big disruptor to bring about change. And that is the thing that's made you know, both companies and managers and employees 
reassess, you know, if the, the, the current model of work is fit for purpose for the for the 21st century. And you're right, you know, this dates back to, you know, the, the common five-day, 40-hour week dates dates back to that kind of industrial manufacturing age. Um, we saw during most of the last century in, in advanced Western uh, democracies and economies, working time gradually reduced right up to around the early to mid-1980s. And since then, it's it's pretty much flatlined. And we're working on average roughly the same as we were back then. And, you know, what's changed? Not so much, only globalization, the internet, personal computers, email. So I do think we need to ask the question as we now enter this new age of automation, AI, digitalization, you know, do we really need to be working the same kind of hours as we used to work 30 years ago? Really? And I think even, I know a couple of years ago, Joe, in this kind of first, I won't say first appear because it's obviously been a, an idea suggestion for quite a long time now, but I remember speaking to one senior enough HR leader who said that just on the flexibility point, I build a lot of flexibility into the five day work week with my staff at the moment. I don't want to have to cut that down into a four day week. You know, like, you know, like it's very easy for somebody to nip away for something early on a Thursday because they'll have, they have the other four and a half days to work it, I suppose. But it sounds like that's not the case at all. You don't really lose that flexibility as such because then that kind of defeats the purpose, doesn't it? Yeah. And look, what we're talking about here is moving the needle on the default expectation. We're not saying that in the same way that, you know, if you're in a job that's currently a five day, nine to five and a crisis comes up or an emergency comes up or a deadline emerges, you know, we're not saying that there's this kind of rigidity that you can't flex outside of that. That doesn't change um, in, in a four day work week. It just means that the common and the standard expectation is, is, is somewhat different. Brilliant. Brilliant, definitely. I suppose, Joe, just I suppose talking about then how it really has taken off. Have you seen much demand for this in Ireland? I know you kind of mentioned it there, obviously, of how it's taken off in various locations. But what's the demand like kind of locally within Ireland? Are you happy with how it's going? Yeah, so we have 17 companies that signed up to participate in our first phase pilot, which, which for most of those companies, their six-month trial started on the 1st of February. They're from quite a diverse range of, of industries within the, within the private sector. And um, we're talking to more and more companies, some of whom are, are uh, talking about aligning with our UK trial timeline, which is obviously the same time zone, which starts on the, on the 1st of June. And um, so I think we're, we're at the early stages, but we're certainly seeing lots of interest. I did a couple of sessions and um, a couple of HR conferences in both Republic and, and, and Northern Ireland earlier this year. And some of the, the you know, I think this, this harks back to the first question that you asked about what some of the misconceptions and the preconceptions about what the four-day week actually is are. Because on those sessions, we ran a poll at the start and at the beginning of this discussion on what the four-day week really is and how it works for businesses. Um, we had about 15, 17% of, of the few hundred people that were on those calls saying at the start that they were actively considering running a trial and by the end, that had increased to over 60% for both, set, for both sessions. So this is something we think when companies actually dig into, you know, what this means and, and the benefits it could deliver for their company, all of a sudden they start to think, actually, maybe this could work for us. Absolutely, because I think that's kind of the battle you're really up against is making people understand what it is really pitching that idea, I suppose. So it's fantastic that we, we have you on to kind of dissect it a bit more. So that's, that's brilliant. Um, I suppose going back to, I suppose, proper implementation of it then i'm not sure from your experience joe have you seen that is it a case that companies will come along and say everyone's doing this or is it 
does it kind of fall into a, a kind of suite of benefits where it's an option for certain staff to do it if they avail of it? What have you seen from your kind of experience? So just on the optional piece, I mean, actually, I think one of the biggest downsides of some of the traditional flexible working policies that, that companies deploy is that they're highly individualized. And what I mean by that is, first of all, your ability to access them can determine can be determined by, you know, who your manager is, you know, what kind of hours uh, your colleagues are working, are your colleagues in your direct team availing of these flexible working options? And does that then put a pressure on you in terms of your career progression opportunities if you then avail of them? The beauty of the four-day work week is it throws everyone in at the deep end together. And it says, actually, you know, in doing this, this is not necessarily about individual productivity. So we're not saying that leaders should get really hung up on, we need to squeeze the same level of productivity out of gym and accounts in four days as we were in five. But this is about collective productivity. This is about, you know, providing a safe space for people to work together on what are the changes we can make in our business? What are the collective efficiencies we can deliver within our team, within our department that can allow us to deliver the same output? So it is the collective in this that actually, in many cases, delivers the value and delivers the, 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 the productivity gains. So we, we do say to most companies that for the trial period, that everyone should participate in the trial because, you know, is it a feasible position to say, you know, you're not, you're not going to try this, you know? So we, we do think that if you have a, a kind of an opt-in trial, then the experiment is kind of undermined because you don't get, the, get that collective buy-in. And also from a data perspective, you don't get, you know, you, if you've got 30 people doing the trial and 20 people not, you don't get the same, the same data quality. But that at the end of the trial period, if the company decides to make it permanent, that that can then be an opt-in policy, whereby if there are employees that at the end of the six months say, you know what, we're more comfortable working the traditional five-day work week, then you give them that, that, that option. You say to people, actually, we're paying you for the output. We're not paying you for the time. We're paying you for the output. We're only requiring you to work four days. But if you want to do that same work across five days, then be our guest. So, you know, that that, that is a, a common way that some companies that we've worked with that have made this a success have approached it. So Joe, can I ask you, do, do the companies that you've worked with start by looking at, okay, how can we be more efficient? How can we streamline processes? Do we need new technology? Or is it that kind of thing first? Or do you just literally jump in at the deep end and say, right, we'll figure all this out as we go? So the, the way our pilot program works is that we have a three-month lead-in period where we roll out pre-trial support sessions to get the company trial ready. And it's really, really critical that a central part of that is that kind of engagement across the organization on what are the things we need to do to make this work for the business. Um, you know, some of them, probably the number one reason why companies who start out interested in trialing this don't actually get to launching the trial is that their leadership mindset and organizational culture is such that, you know, sometimes you get this kind of CEO complex where people feel, actually, we need to come up with every single possible thing that could go wrong, every single possible issue or problem that could come up during the trial. We need to solve them in advance around the C-suite or around the executive table before we even engage the, the, the employees and before we even run the trial. Of course, that's not going to work because even the most detail-oriented CEO in the world does not know the day-to-day -day intricacies of each of their employees work well enough to be able to say, this is how you can deliver these efficiencies to get the work done quicker and to get the work done better. So, you know, that kind of, of preparation is, is, is really, really vitally important in terms of setting yourself up for, for success. 
And and who typically comes to you? Is it the CEO or is it HR coming to you to say, look, we're interested in this or I like the idea of it or, or you know, where does it originate? Uh, you know, from an employee perspective, the there are people are always looking for enhancements to balance their lives even even those who are more maybe wedded to the job than others you know people are looking for those that balance if they can find it but where does it come from because you know i know many many companies where the employee voice is strong looking for you know part-time work flexible working options or or something like that and and you can have a whole c-suite absolutely against it until covid came along when you know every organization had to place their people in their homes and deal with it and work it out and figure it out and streamline and work out communication and management and all that kind of stuff. But where does it, where does it come from? How do, how do people come to think, will we do this? Well, first of all, it's an interesting point you raise because I think a lot of companies that are listening to this call out there might assess that if they did a, a kind of around the executive table, this kind of overthinking analysis of can we make make remote work work they might have come to a different conclusion than the reality when actually they were thrust into it and people were forced to adapt and you know and and um and be agile in 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 how they approach that it's a mix i mean probably most of our contact is from hr managers people ops directors people at that level who are exploring this as part of considering the future of work considering recruitment and retention challenges you know, with some smaller companies, it can be quite founder-led or CEO-led. And then we also do get employees or groups of employees coming to us, you know, looking to explore how they can sell this up the line, how they can persuade their boss to maybe at least embrace considering this idea. So, um, so yeah, we, we, we get interest from, from all levels and from all layers. You know, most of the work of what, of what we do is at that leadership level. It's with, you know, the people who are responsible for designing their own pilots and designing their own trials in their organizations. And really what we're trying to do, you know, we're a not-for-profit. We're not setting ourselves up as a management consultancy that's going to come in and tell you, this is what you need to do in your business. Much more of what we're trying to do is, is to offer people access to the expertise and the experience of a lot of different leaders and a lot of different companies internationally who've often done this in very different ways, because, you know, this is not a one size fits all approach. Um, and, and, and that's, you know, that's, I think, the value and the benefit of, of what we're able to provide is that kind of network of, of expertise. Yeah, I think, Mary, we talk so often on this podcast about the kind of business case, because um, I know that's obviously a challenge for HR people everywhere. And although this, as Joe said there, it might not always be HR led, it's definitely something that kind of hits a lot of metrics for HR people, our listeners, things around productivity, engagement benefits flexibility doesn't it it does and particularly now at the moment because you know all the hr people i know are struggling to fill open roles um and you know there's such a high rate of attrition um and people voting with their feet so you know there there's i guess a lot of people out there at the moment who are asked to come back into offices who don't want to be back in offices at the moment. And, you know, employers at the senior leadership level saying this is how 
work must look in our organization we want you all back in for three days a week or whatever so again I I'm a real believer that you know listening to employee voice is so important and and understanding what it is that that people want and and there's no louder voice than the voice that has been screaming at HR and leadership for the last two years is we like this we like being remote we like flexibility we like having more time we want um, an opportunity to focus on ourselves and the things that matter to us, whatever those things might be. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of of the view that ignore it at your pearl, because I believe that the world of work is changing. Um, like I said at the start of the podcast, it's something that we have discussed as a team and talked about doing getting it off the ground was a different thing because the how do we go about a piece wasn't there um for us in terms of well how do we how do we squash all this work into four days a week for people would it work uh, could we do it better but us like everybody else we, we were thrust into the pandemic in the same way as everyone else and we very quickly figured out and um, how to communicate, how to manage, how to lead, how to do all of these things, even how to talk to our audience when all of our audience was in their houses, you know, podcasting or webinars or whatever. The whole world has changed in terms of how we do business. And um, so I see the four day week as, you know, a natural evolution um, that's happening over time. I believe it will be the norm um, I don't know in what kind of time frame but I do believe it will be the norm for businesses um, and again those who don't embrace new ways of working will get left behind when it comes to talent and the acquisition of talent and HR's job and I say it every single podcast time and time again our job is to ensure that the organization is adequately resourced to deliver on the organization strategy um, and if our people are running away from our organizations down the road to someone who's offering something better um, and flexibility is one of those benefits that people want and someone down the road is offering it and then people will move and they will move for it. Um, but it requires enlightened thinking. Uh, it it um, requires bravery uh, if you're in HR to float this idea to the C-suite. And look, you know, I've served my time under various managing directors and CEOs and, and people. It's not an easy role. It's not, it's not always easy to convince. It's not always easy to present the business case. So we've got to come at it with our facts and our figures and our metrics. And, you know, most CEOs that I know, Joe, um, do overthink what could go wrong here. Have we considered every possibility? And there's work for HR people to do around all of those things, your research, your understanding of what it, what it could mean for the organization. So I always say, you know, don't, don't approach your CEO lightly. Do your research, figure it out, put together your business case. Um, and, you know, the, the C-suite are always far more open to hearing what you have to say mm -hmm. at that point. 
Yeah, and I, I, I think, you know, I think you're, you're dead right. And I think, you know, the conversation has moved on now from can the four-day week work? You know, I think there's enough evidence out there at this point that it's clear that it can work. And now people are asking, can it work for us? Um, you know, we, we, two or three years ago, pie in the sky was a thing that was thrown around an awful lot when the four-day week came up in media, public, political discourse. I think now, you know, the people who think we're going back to the way work was in late 2019, early 20, early 2020, I think that's probably pie in the sky. Um, so, you know, we're certainly finding that we're not even having to really promote or advocate for the idea anymore. You know, and it, we're, most of our time now is just responding to the interests and the demand that's out there. And certainly, I, I think that message that you have around, you know, the, comp the, the competitive aspect of this, you know, your biggest risk is not trying this and it not working out. Your biggest risk is not being willing to try this and your biggest competitor makes it work. And um, that's my view anyway. Yeah, and I think Iceland are always uh, interesting to watch. You know, Iceland have um, managed to, you know, completely eliminate the gender pay gap, uh, you know, which is <laughs> nowhere else in the world has managed to do it in such a way. Um, and so if you if you look towards uh, and I and I encourage HR people to do that, look out, look outside your window and see what's happening out there. And, um, you know, sometimes HR people are are in an organization for a very long time and um, and there's that think that exists at the c-suite level that hr buy into and believe of course they have to they're they're in the organization but there's not enough of looking out the window and seeing well who else is doing what um you know where where could I get ideas? Uh, how could I develop something in our organization that's different, that gives us a competitive advantage? You're seeing it all over the place, usually in the industries where, uh, you know, like the tech industry, where they're at the forefront of thing, offering things like fertility treatments and, you know, enhanced uh, benefits for parents and, and really thinking outside the box. Why? To attract talent. Um, you know, fundamentally, primarily, that's what they're about. And I, I say to organizations outside of those sectors, you too can be as interesting and exciting and innovative um, to the potential candidates out there. You don't need a huge budget necessarily to do it, but it, being innovative and creative and thoughtful about things um, can certainly help you there. Um, and I think the four day week is is one where employees are so invested in making it work um, and not seeing it fail because will they really want to come back to a five day week after they've done four um, that it seems to be a, a, a probably an easy one to um, successfully implement. That would be my view, but then we haven't done it yet in our place. So maybe maybe we need to um, start looking at it again, own ourselves, and Joe would be very interested to see what your programs are. Absolutely. We'd love to have that conversation with you offline after the call. Brilliant stuff. So I suppose to kind of round us off, Joe, any kind of final words of wisdom for companies, HR teams that are thinking, I might give this a go, just do it, I suppose. Is that the, is that the message? Yeah, I mean, do your research. Um, certainly 
feel free to reach out to us as a resource to to guide you on you know case studies that are out there and research that's out there um but you know i think that this is something that you absolutely need to be thinking about um, and and sometimes you know don't think about this in a really straightforward um you know like for example we've had companies who have done this um you know the majority of companies we've worked with have not had to increase employment costs have not had to increase headcount they've still managed to deliver the same output we've had some companies who have who actually have had to hire two or three more people but then when they drill down into that and they look at the second order benefits around you know they're spending less on recruitment because they're you know they're spending less on training new staff because their t- turnover and attrition annually has gone down so much since they moved to a four day work week so you know there's a lot of this touches on a lot of different elements of your business um and you know my message would be that for an awful lot of companies the four day work week is already here it's just buried beneath this rubble of bad meetings outmoded pr- processes and and digital distractions and once you start to clear some of that stuff away very quickly you realize actually the four day work week isn't as far away as we we might have thought brilliant so look hopefully i suppose in the true style of the four day work week hopefully we've condensed a lot of good information and good stuff into a short space of time so thank you mary and joe for a very insightful discussion and i really hope that that kind of has a busted a lot of myths i suppose for a lot of our listeners um so thank you to everyone for listening as well of course we'll catch you next week for next installment of our podcast so don't forget to click subscribe on our social media channels and do join the discussion as well um make sure to obviously check the show notes for useful resources related to today's topic we will be sharing some links to the the work that joe and his team do and as always for hr consultancy services and management you can trust get in touch with us today at insidehr.ie thank you mary thank you joe thanks thanks for joining us today on the hr room podcast the podcast series from insight hr that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.